Big Sis Podcast. We love Big Sis. Hey there, my name's Karen Mason and I'm your host for the Big Sis Pod. We live in a society full of confusing images for women and that unrealistic expectation around the so-called perfect female form. Now, everything from huge city advertising billboards or photoshopped images in the world-leading magazines, even the latest trends to hit us are in our faces on Instagram. So therefore, there's really no real surprise that so many girls have major body image concerns when they look at their own reflection in the mirror. Today, Yvette in Perth joins us right now to share her personal journey from loathing to love. Welcome, darling. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Karen. Thanks, babe. And first of all, I think we're just going to get straight into this topic because it's so important and I'm really grateful that you're sharing this story with us. So can you start off with when you sort of first realised that you're hating on your own body? Oh, I was probably about eight or nine years old, to be honest. Um, by that time... It's so I, young, isn't it? Yeah, very young. I'd, I'd done some ballet when I was a bit younger, and I think the first comment that I took note of was when I heard somebody say that my body was solid. So that just kind of stuck with me, and I just started checking myself out all the time from that point on. And yeah, by the time I was eight or nine, I wasn't really happy with what I could see. Yeah. And I've got a dancing background as well. So I can totally relate to that, especially with the, the ballerina form, the, the body form that is supposed to be the ideal dancer's body. So I did see that myself. So you've realized that you're not happy with your body and it's come from, you know, your teachers and things like that at dancing. What's the rest of the journey from there? Well, it's, it's quite a convoluted journey, to be honest. Like, there were things happening even before that point that started leading towards an eating disorder. Like, from when the time I was a toddler, I was actually hanging around for my brother's leftover food. And that is a common trait in eating disorder sufferers. I think I was trying to fill a hole that was perhaps inside of me from family issues. Um, my natural father disappeared out of our life when I was a toddler. So so that's when it all first started, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, then after I'd done dancing, I then kind of moved into little athletics. And of course, that's very body oriented as well. And I was very conscious about what my body was able to do as well as what it was looking like. Then from there, I you know, started getting into pre-teen age and was starting to read magazines like Dolly magazine. Mm. And it all kind of started to intensify from that point. I completely idolized all the girls in the pictures and I wanted to be like them. I read the stories that included details about their weight and their diet and their exercise routines and all those sorts of things and I wanted to be just like that. And I also had a sister who was born to what is technically my stepfather but he's my dad. He's been my dad since I was one and a half. Mm -hmm. And she has his genetic makeup which is very long and lean and light. So I really noticed the difference between her body and my body. So that exacerbated it all too, I think. Mm. Because I haven't actually suffered from it, but so many women have. And I wasn't quite sure if it was more so, you know, society's pressure or even the upbringing. So it sounds a little bit like both. Yeah, it's definitely both. There's a lot of other factors that come into play as well, like there's biological factors, low self-esteem, any childhood conflicts, any rejection that happens. Mm -hmm. 
um, family history, anything that causes trauma, perhaps perfectionism. I mean, perfectionism is definitely something I developed from a young age as well because my brother was, shall we say, he's a little bit of a rebellious nature when he was quite young. Mm -hmm. And then my sister, she was very quite hyperactive. So both of them required a lot of attention. And I noticed that I got attention when... I came home with good grades and things like that. So I started trying to be perfect in absolutely everything that I did in okay. order to get the attention that I wanted. And that carried all the way through. And I'm still a perfectionist to this day. Well, actually, talking about perfection, because I uh, was out to dinner and drinks with this amazing group of women on the Gold Coast last year. And these are all very successful business women and intelligent and good looking, everything like all in the package, right? And there was seven of us there. And five of the seven in that room had actually had eating disorders in the past. And so I was like really um, blown away by those stuff because I was one that hasn't ever had these experiences. And I sort of, I guess I thought it was more a weakness of the brain and and the mindset. And that's why this sort of behavior happened. But they were all, in fact, saying to me that it was about control. And as you're saying, perfection. So what's your thought on that? Oh, 100% it's about control. Definitely. When you start to feel like your life is not in control and in ways that you can control it. The one thing you can control is what you're putting into your body and also how you're exercising your body. So that is absolutely the truth. I mean, as the eating disorder really developed for me, like from the time I was 14 and onwards, I was going through a patch at school where I was rejected quite quite in a severe way by a whole bunch of girls just when I was feeling like I was starting to belong and, you know, I was really conscious of my body at that time. I really wanted to make mum and dad proud, so I was heading towards going to university, which is what they wanted for me when deep inside, I guess, I was a creative person. But, like, every child wants their parent to be proud of them, so they head down that path. Well, a lot of them do. So I guess I felt like I wasn't in control of my life and yeah, the one thing I could control was the food thing. So mm, Fascinating. I've only just recently learned that. Can you run us through the behaviours that you actually took on and, and was it mainly in your teenage years? Well, it started when I was about 10. I would be dropped off at the bus stop and I would pull out what I had in my bag for my lunch or my play lunch and I would start eating at the bus stop even though I'd had breakfast so I wasn't hungry Mm -hmm. so I knew it was weird but I just felt like I just was compelled to eat and then by the time I got to recess I would eat my lunch and then by the time I got to lunch I would then perhaps go and get something from the tuck shop with my pocket money or something like that so there was that and then there were times when I would completely starve myself like I would go through mum's calorie counter and I would tell myself I was only allowed to have like 500 calories or something like that which is ridiculous especially when you're growing and I would have like an apple at recess and then an orange at lunch and then I'd eat as little of my dinner as I could and just things like that so I was going swinging from restricting to binging patches and then by the time I was 14 I was sticking my fingers down my throat every now and again 
And then that just became more and more frequent as time went on. Did it become a daily practice? Oh, yes. By the time I was in my worst, I was doing it six, seven times a day. The days that I was binging and vomiting, that's how often I was doing it. And then in, in between, there were patches where I just ate you know, practically nothing, raw vegetables, a couple of rice crackers, things like that. So I was what a doctor described to me as bulimorexic. So I swung between the... Between the two? Binging and vomiting, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. What do you think was your lowest point and then you've finally decided, okay, this is enough? And what age were you at? Oh, there was years of lowest point, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You just felt, well, I felt completely out of control and I didn't want to do it for... For quite a long time. The, the whole patch of time that I was doing that to myself was about 16 years. So it was a very long period of time. Mm. But I couldn't stop it. It was like being possessed in a way. And I know a lot of other people describe it in that manner as well. It's like having a monster inside your head and you don't want to do it, but your body just physically carries through with the doing of it. It's really hard to explain, mm. um, but people that have been through an eating disorder will certainly get and understand that. But... From there, I actually developed an addiction to marijuana because I didn't deal with all the things that led me to having an eating disorder in the first place. And then I started hanging around people that were smoking a lot of pot. So I just basically had one addiction taking over from another. And then I was addicted to pot for 12 years and then I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop that. So eventually I went to a kinesiologist on the uh, referral of a friend and she is the person that basically saved my life in terms of helping me to stop doing these things that were harming me. What did she say to you? What actually kicked in? Oh, kinesiology is a therapy using energies and it shifts thought patterns that are subconscious. Like I wasn't even aware that I had these thought patterns in me because they developed from such a young age and they were just causing me to self-sabotage repeatedly and that's why I couldn't stop it because they were there and she shifted that with the treatments. Like Beautiful. It's such an interesting therapy. It's mm. the most amazing thing. Like literally four weeks after I went to see her for the first time, I stopped smoking pot and I haven't looked back. From that point on, I've just got healthier and healthier and healthier. Wonderful. That is so amazing. So it, it was pretty much just that particular treatment or did you go and do counselling as well? I did counselling as well. I did some psychodrama a few years before that. Um, that was it was quite traumatic because it it was very confronting. So it did definitely help me because it enabled me to, in exercise, it enabled me to say things that I had not allowed myself to say, things that were really buried. Uh, so that was helpful as well. But yeah, for me, the most important thing was the kinesiology, definitely. Mm-hmm. And are you still doing those kind of treatments? And I guess how long have you been completely healthy? Well, I started seeing the kinesiologist when I was 40 and I'm about to turn 46. So I've been seeing her since. However, the last time I saw her was earlier this year. And I'm now at a point where I feel like I don't need to see her anymore. So I feel 100% better now. Like For the first time in my life in the past couple of months, I've stopped wanting to be smaller. And that is true and authentic. And there's been another finishing touch at the end of that that I wasn't expecting. And that was the fact that I quit drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. I just did that for my own health purposes because I just wanted to try what it felt like to not drink alcohol at all. And completely unexpectedly, 
this not wanting to be smaller anymore has been a result of that. Like, I had no idea that was going to be a result, but it's been so profound that I would just never go back and have a drink anymore. Okay, great. Oh, you sound like you've just come so far. I'm so proud of you. And thank you again for sharing your personal story because it takes a lot of strength to actually own it. So uh, well done with that. Uh, Before we go into the fact that you're writing a book and it's very exciting, have you got some advice for others that are listening right now that know they want to get some help? Have you got some organisations or what kind of advice could you give? Well, I would suggest going to the Butterfly Foundation. They are the biggest organisation in terms of helping people with eating disorders. They have a helpline. They can give advice on treatment centres wherever you are. They can help you gather information. They can help you with support. So the Butterfly Foundation would be the place. Their number is one eight hundred double three four six seven three. That's a national helpline. So whether you're a person that's suffering or you're a friend or a relative or a loved one or a carer, that's the number to call. And you can also email them on support at the butterflyfoundation.org.au. So that's the way to go in Australia. Wonderful. See, I didn't actually know of that, that organisation, so thank you very much. Let's talk about this book before we head off. Um, so it's really exciting. You've been writing and it's how long have you been writing it for? It's been just over four and a half years in the making at this point. I'm currently doing my final editing stages and it's going to be different to any other book that you would have seen or read out there uh, to do with an eating disorder. I'm not going to tell you exactly how different because that would be giving away my secret. Yes, keep us guessing. Yeah, that's it. But the biggest thing about it is you'll be able to clearly understand or you should be able to clearly understand how the eating disorder has come about for the person that is of concern to you. My editor certainly said that about my story and the way that I've written it, that's what I hope for the reader to also have. So it's almost for family and friends to be able to work out if their loved one is of concern, do you think? Well, that too, definitely. But see, so many people are very pragmatic thinkers and when someone has an eating disorder, they can't understand why they can't just stop it, why you can't just eat normally, why you can't just stop putting your fingers down your throat or stop starving. But there's so much more to it than that. And when you read this book, you'll be able to see all those other factors that come into play and understand so much more fully how it's come about and then how you can then treat it. Because it's the hardest thing in the world when you don't understand why somebody is doing that to themselves. They don't want to be doing that to themselves. It just comes about for all sorts of reasons. And by understanding, then you can help with the treatment and move forward. And that's wonderful because that's the thing. It's a bigger problem than we think. It's all still getting brushed under the carpet. So I think it is time for us to start talking about it openly and and finding these resources. So well done for that. So look out for Yvette Gray's book. It's going to be amazing. I'll be posting it on Big Sis Australia social media pages when it is actually ready to purchase and where to find it. So look out for that. But in the meantime, you can follow her blogs on yvettegray.com and gray is spelt with an A. So thank you again for your time, sweetheart, and we will chat again very soon. Thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're a gem. On the next episode, don't you just hate it when you see your man checking out another woman? Well, we're going to be hearing from a couple who have decided to admire other beautiful women together. How does this even work? Find out here on the Big Sis Pod.